You know, I appreciate it. I mean, we got everything from Top Gun to Ukraine to baseball. I mean, we were covering the gamut. And then, you know, again, hopefully everyone's out there enjoying the 4th of July and celebrating America. Because, again, it's not a perfect country, but I think we got it pretty good. It is July 4th, Independence Day. Hope you guys are enjoying. Uh, some of you may not be enjoying. Some of you may, guys may be overseas. I don't know where you are. Whether you're having a great day with family and friends and barbecuing or you're stuck somewhere uh, listening to us and, and this is your only form of entertainment, we thank you for checking out this episode with John Rainwaters. As I say during the episode, I mean, when I think of July 4th, Independence Day, I think of all different things. I think of air shows and Top Gun and baseball and F-16 pilots, right? And we get into all of that with actually John Waters, which is pretty cool. Second appearance on the show. Chris is not here this episode, but don't go anywhere. It's a great episode. But if you do have any questions for Chris or myself, people have been asking us to do another uh, guest-free Q&A episode, and we're going to do it later this month. Send in any questions you have to battlelinepodcast at gmail.com. We'll answer whatever you want. No more guest suggestions, though, because I've, I've got, like, stacks of guests that we need to bring on. Um, just any questions you have for me, any questions for Chris, and we'll try to get to it. If it's good, all right, ask good questions. I know there's, like, there's, there's no such thing as uh, bad or stupid questions. But, yeah, there are. There's questions that, that we're going to be like, this sucks. So, if, if it's a good question, we'll get to it. Battlelinepodcast at gmail.com. That'll be later this month. But, hey, before... We get to John Rain Waters with over 700 five-star customer reviews. Ned's Mellow Magnesium is an instant hit. Nourish your entire body with Ned's proprietary super blend with three forms of chelated magnesium, GABA, L-theanine, and over 70 trace minerals. It propels memory, mood, brain function, stress response, nerve and muscle health, and sleep. And about 75% of Americans are deficient in it. And if you're deficient in magnesium, you're probably not getting the best sleep. You're probably one of those people who never remembers your dreams. I can tell you, once you're taking Ned's Mellow Magnesium, any of their magnesium supplements, um, you're going to be remembering your dreams. You're going to be having vivid dreams. You're going to be like me, and you're going to wake up, and you're going to start Googling dream analysis. And you're like, what was the symbolism of these dreams that I'm having? Because I do, I do remember my dreams now when I take Ned's Mellow Magnesium. It is now available on Amazon, but you're going to get the best deal through us as a first-time customer. And you go to helloned.com slash battleline, or just add the code battleline at checkout. Make sure that you use the code battleline when you go to helloned.com slash battleline because you're going to get a discount as a first-time customer on any of their products, any of their CBD. Um, yeah, check it out, whether it's the Brain Blend or their... Uh, daily blend for just pure CBD, uh, pure hemp. That's H-E-L-L-O-N-E-D dot com slash battlewine. Ned has the best supplements on the market. They really do. Ned and, and Bubs, of course. But made here in America, made in Colorado, um, you're, you're really going to thank yourself for getting it. Your body is going to thank you. Uh, also... Our longest-running sponsor on the show who's been with us since day one is Fort Scott Munitions. Fort Scott is a manufacturer of multi-federal uh, patented solid copper and brass CNC-spun ammunition. It's designed to tumble upon impact in soft tissue, TUI, their trademark. 
leaving devastating wound channels for faster bleed-out and quicker incapacitation. This ammunition was originally developed to innovate and improve on the standard of military-grade ammunition design. It was found that not only did the TUI ammunition outperform competitors in the self-defense industry, but it quickly became apparent that it would be a top contender for hunters alike. With the ammunition being CNC-spun, the tolerances are some of the tightest on the market, ensuring that you receive the same results with every pull of the trigger. It is the best ammo on the market. A lot of our audience were using other ammo, and they've since switched over because they've heard us talk about it, and we appreciate that. Uh, and it has the endorsement, of course, of Chris Peranto. So, uh, yeah, with over, uh, you know, 50 states, not over 50 states, I should say, you could find it in all 50 states, but you're going to get the best deal through us when you go to fsm.com and use the promo code BATTLELINE for 15% off your order, only available to listeners of the BATTLELINE podcast. Fort Scott Munitions is a proud supporter of Chris Peranto, BATTLELINE Tactical, and the BATTLELINE podcast, FSM. Promo code BATTLELINE. Let's get over to this episode with John Rain Waters. Check it out. From Kansas City to New York City, from planet Earth to extraterrestrial life in space, a podcast with no equal, engaged in unconventional warfare through your speakers and headphones. This is a show about embracing the suck, conquering your demons, and finding God in the face of adversity. Chris Tonto Peranto. Switch is on. Motherfucker, I'm going to shoot you in the face. Ian Scotto. You know, Ian and I have been dating for a long time. You are now tuned into the Battle Line Podcast. The Switch is on Battleline podcast, and this is a July 4th extravaganza of sorts because you guys will be hearing this on July 4th. On with me is John Rain Waters, retired Air Force F-16 pilot and host of the After Afterburn podcast, um, also doing stuff with the E3 Association. Uh, last time we spoke, you know, it was with Chris, but it was it was about a year ago. Yeah, it's kind of crazy when you think about it, because it does seem like it was yesterday, but I think that's the cliche thing to say, but it does seem like yesterday and a lot's happened in a year. Yeah, and your podcast really has grown and just thrived in, in popularity and everything. It's kind of crazy. I'm sure you, know, you and I have talked a little bit about it. We both kind of pivoted into the video space. Yeah, that's true. I, I think that allows you to reach a broader audience. You know, the podcast platforms, in my opinion... It's not like Google or YouTube where it recommends a podcast. Maybe it does like one, you know, it's just not very yeah. intuitive, at least my experience. So I think that's been, that's been a big part, but it's been cool to see it grow. It's surprising. I'm, you know, I was gonna be happy if a hundred people listen to it. Um, <laughs> well, you're, you're good at what you do and you have great guests on. Well, thank you. It's, it is a testament too. I think of the, the, just like the quality of people that, you know, have been, I've been exposed to in my career and then being able to talk to them 
and just hear one, it might just be about their background. It might be about a sortie where they got a distinguished flying cross. I mean, I've had, you know, Vietnam Marines who are fighter pilots and then they're chucking grenades down hallways and stuff when the, you know, the fobs overrun. I mean, it's, it's wild. I got one that I'm pretty excited about. I am trying to get it out on July 4th, but he was the air mission commander for the last C-17 evacuation out of uh, Kabul, which is something that's pretty interesting from an Air Force standpoint, because we're always talking about kicking the door down and going to fight our way in and escort people to wherever they need to go. But we, and we exercise that all the time with red flags and also, I mean, large force exercises all the time, but we never do the, hey, it's time to leave this spot. How do we egress this location in mass? And so it, it was a really, you know, I think we talked about it when I was on the episode the first time around. Um, obviously, leaving Afghanistan, the way that went was very emotional for a lot of people. Yeah, but and that was funny. a little bit fresher when we when we spoke about it. Yeah, but you, now you see it, and I was like two years out. And then listen to Alex talk about, you know, seeing the Taliban inside the wire waving as the last C-17 took off. Just kind of, I don't know, it has, it has a different impact, so. Yeah, it's been it's been a fun journey to say the least. Yeah, definitely. But that that is crazy to hear about because I think everybody who, who was a veteran of those wars and many of the guys we've had on did, of course, have an understandably emotional response to how things were handled. And in many cases, people would say many cases people would say how it was botched the whole the yeah. whole getting out of there and and left a lot of people thinking why are we there in the first place? What did we accomplish? Did we leave Afghanistan better than when we came in? So. Yeah, it's and you know, hearing Alex talk because I, I mean, I've definitely thrown a lot of shade in the direction of, well, hey, you know, we fell back to Kabul, right? And, and if anyone's been to Kabul, it's just a hodgepodge. It's it's not a secure. I mean, it's a hodgepodge of compounds, unlike Bagram and Kandahar, which like you think your traditional base with a wire and a fence. And we gave up our most strategic locations. But, you know, he talks about why that decision was made and how it went down that path, et cetera. So you're like, okay, you know, I can, I can see both sides of it. But nonetheless, the, how, we, how we left it and just kind of like, poof, here's a bunch of stuff and we're out. Um, yeah, it seemed like there could have been a, a few better options. But it gets political, right? You know, hey, we're leaving Afghanistan and this is the line in the sand versus, you know, we kicked the hornet's nest, in my humble opinion. We, yeah probably needed unfortunately we're going to hang out there for the eternity with a small footprint just making sure bad people don't do too many bad things it's wild too because i i've played it before on the podcast and i don't don't really have the ability to play it here maybe uh, our video editor harold can pull it up but there's a speech that joe biden gave like many years prior to with the withdrawal of afghanistan i don't know if you saw it i mean we're talking like a long time before and He's saying that if we were to just leave on a certain date. End the war today, begin to withdraw all American troops. It will take a year to get the American troops out. It will take a year to get them physically out. The, the weapons that we have over there would go in the wrong hands and they would be used against us. Now, if you leave all the equipment behind, you might be able to do it in seven months and you leave those billions of dollars of weapons behind i promise they're going to be used against your grandchild and mine someday all the things that 
we have seen gone wrong he warned against so it's it's really just strange to see all these years later that there was the exact same strategy that was used and you know it does get into politics of course and, and we right. don't really get into all that but i mean it is just wild to see that he kind of warned against what he ended up doing yeah and that's you know i think that's the unfortunate piece is i mean obviously it is politicized and it's a very political decision it's a very costly war obviously with lives and and just financial but yeah, you look at the stuff we do in other places in the world with, I think, a relatively f- small footprint with special operations forces that, you know, you could support and have a relatively small footprint, but be able to maintain and control. The funny story, I was flying with a guy in my my airline career, right? He's, he's a retired Marine colonel. And he was he was tasked with figuring out how to get all the MRAPs out of Afghanistan. They looked at it, you know, I mean, they spend... I don't know, weeks, months, doing all the analysis of how how are they going to get all the Marine Corps MRAPs out of Afghanistan? They quickly figured out that it would cost the entire Marine Corps budget for a fiscal year to get all the vehicles out of there. So what did they do? They went down the road to the Army and said, hey, do you guys want these MRAPs? And, you know, before the Army could figure it out, hey, the MRAPs are yours. Like, that's the, you know, the shell game that's being played. And then, you know, everything got left and God knows how much how much stuff that ended up in the Taliban, but you know, is Iraq 2000, you know, 10, 11 ish time period leaving there. And then, you know, fast forward to my time with operation inherent resolve, dropping bombs on MRAPs, dropping bombs on excavators, Humvees, all stuff that we had given to the Iraqi army. And rightfully so, you know, we, we equipped the Iraqi army to hopefully stand on their own. And then it just didn't pan out that way. Yeah, yeah. Um, well, I mean, moving on to, I guess, another topic, as I said, people are going to be hearing this on July 4th. No, and it was part of the reason I wanted to bring you on, I think, because when, when I think July 4th, I think actually stuff that we spoke about in our episodes, air shows, and I do think F-16 yep. pilots and Top Gun and all that stuff. So do you have any cool plans going on? I know, you know, as you said, your family before we recorded is growing. I don't know if you're spending time with them, that type of thing when people are hearing this. Yeah, I'm, I'm fortunate. This this weekend, uh, I get to be with my family and friends. We're going to hang out, barbecue, you know, celebrate America, uh, have a great time. Because, yeah, again, there are people who are overseas who don't necessarily get to do that. I, I was only deployed. I deployed twice. One deployment was over the summer. You know, I flew on the 4th of July, which, of course, on the way back home, when we didn't need any of our flares. We dispensed all our flares just for some freedom. But, um, yeah, this weekend, I'm looking forward to it. 4th of July is like, I, I don't argue to say is my favorite holiday. Like I just yeah. love the weekend and everything that goes into it. There's just so much yeah, patriotism, grilling out, drinking a cold beer. Life's good. You know, I cannot complain. Yeah, I, I agree. And the last time we had you on, we did talk a little bit about Top Gun and, and also yeah. the sequel because that was fresh. And um, I, I wanted to originally have you on the episode that we did with Dale Sizemore and Clint Emerson, where we talked military movies a little bit. Yeah. And I remember just at the time, scheduling didn't line up. But I think July 4th does go hand in hand with movies like that. And since we didn't get to do it, I think people may want to hear, because we were going to get into this with you, what military movies do you love? Which do you hate? Which do you relate to? I think it'd be cool to hear your perspective on that. Well, you know, I mean, Top Gun obviously is one that... Uh, had a pivotal impact, the original Top Gun growing up. I will say the second Top Gun, I really enjoyed it. There are some people who will like tear it apart. But like, really? I, I thought overall the response from mostly everyone I heard was positive. I loved it. Well, you find a couple of fighter pilots or I don't know, people who are just like, I, I think they know, they either know what they're talking about or they think they know what they're talking about. And 
Like it's not realistic. You know, you're not, you're not going to go fight your way in with like double digit Sam's and be flaring and jinking. Like everyone is dead. Everyone died five times over, but that wouldn't be a great movie. Um, and so it was, it was really entertaining. And I thought obviously the flying they did, the videography that went into it, the cinematic effect. I mean, it was really impactful and really cool. It gets very entertaining. It's fun to like fly around the world. And I, I, I deadhead as we call it on other airlines to get to where I'm going. And so you'll just see Top Gun. I mean, even to this day, you know, it's still on the screens and there's like five or six people always watching Top Gun. So Top and, Gun- and you guys, I was going to say also, you guys watch it though with a different perspective yeah. than myself, the civilian. I guess if they see something that's not accurate, I've heard it from military guys, like I'm checked out immediately. And for the average civilian, we don't, we don't watch it in that way. We just want to be entertained. And, right. and, and also just, I mean, a, a lot of the movies, the people love, I've always heard are not accurate, like Navy SEALs with Charlie Sheen, although that inspired many people to join, but yeah, go on with the ones that you love, the ones that you hate. Yeah. Well, I think that's too, you got to give them some leeway too. Cause again, if you walked into like a fighter squadron and you went out and flew in a sortie, you're like, this is so boring. I mean, it can be really busy, you know, but it's not going to be that, you know, the just so cinematically engaging, I don't think. So you got to give them some leeway and speed. But it sounds like it. they made the first one accurate in that way, right? Because the first one wasn't a war movie. So they didn't do anything that remarkable. Yeah, I think that's because that was probably the first time to, I mean, there's someone to chime in that you actually had that type of aerial, air to air cinematography. You had the in cockpit footage. That, you know, if you go like Iron Eagle, it's on a green screen or blue screen back in the day. But Top Gun, the original one, just the fact that this was the first time people really getting exposed and, you know, feeling like they're in a fighter jet and seeing fighter jets. Um, and they're just, I mean, yeah, like you're alluding to this 4th of July. It's nothing but America. Like people love the sound of freedom and there's nothing better than just burning a bunch of dinosaurs out the back end, making a bunch <laughs> of noise, you know. Um but yeah, so Top Gun definitely is on my list. That was pivotal, for, you know, for me growing up and you know, wanting to become a pilot. This next round, I think, you know, my my oldest son, I mean, he he's all about it. But I grew up, you know, it's kind of weird. I grew up watching a lot of like Army uh, and Marine Corps movies. Like uh, Full Metal Jacket was one. I was probably exposed to it uh, way too early in my in my younger <laughs> days by Hamburger Hill. Um, and, you know, never do it. I mean, I know those things like anything it's there's a lot of hollywood flair that goes into it to make it um engaging i don't know so it's it's interesting to hear your perspective too that you know top gun i'm sure you just like you probably thought that was a great movie I don't know. oh yeah yeah i enjoyed both of it. but then also the thing is when you said you grew up with like a lot of army and uh and marine movies that was one of the issues when you think about it when we did that episode is there's a ton of army movies yeah. there's some uh navy movies top gun of course uh marine movies are i mean are there air, any movies based around the air force i can't even think of any off the top of my head you know so you get iron eagle transformers uh has a lot of air force iron in it like the newer okay. ones but you know probably too it's like so then there's an there's an air force public affairs office in hollywood and they deal solely with this and doing the demo job I interacted with them and I, yeah, it's the first time I became aware when I flew with the Super Bowl like that. They had the, the Hollywood public affairs. I didn't know you did though. We got to talk yeah. about that. Yeah. I, that's <laughs> yeah, the coolest I've ever been in my entire life. We'll talk about the Super Bowl 2018 Minneapolis, but um, yeah, so it is, it's tough to do that. You know, you can go out and film on the the ramp or something like that, but to get all the approvals like they did for Top Gun, 
to get someone to fly in your back seat, to go through all that, like it, it, there's a lot of hurdles that have to be overcome. And obviously it's very costly. The movie studios have to pay per hour of flight hour to actually, you know, get all the filming done for everything they're doing. And not to the knock on the army or like the Marine Corps, but you know, you could go rent a beach or the woods somewhere and you can dress up and actually go out there and create some pretty good, yeah, you know, movies from it. But the, you know, if you're going to do it in the air force, it's going to be costing you at the tune of like $80,000 an hour, depending on how many planes you're throwing in there and, and what you're doing. And I've had a couple of companies reach out to me who are interested in like the GoPro footage to be able to do CGI with. And I'm just curious, like, yeah, there's a whole team that's CGIing this, this footage just to try and make it look realistic, but then also they can't get in a jet or two, you know, it's just cost prohibitive to actually go out there and fly JP eight or jet a, it's pretty expensive. I don't know yeah. what the force gets it for, but. So which, which military movies did you hate? Which did you watch either? This was completely unrealistic or just not enjoyable. Yeah. So I, I enjoyed like all like, you know, hamburger Hill. I enjoyed a lot of the world war two movies, like growing up there, I'd come like on TNT and USA or USA. Uh, what was that channel? Like back in the day. That sounds right. Yeah. The, cause they in the summertime. That's as a kid, it's like maybe go to the pool and then in the afternoon, chill out. The one now that I, I actually, I really liked it, but I didn't know anything at the time. Have you seen Behind Enemy Lines with no. Owen Wilson? So <laughs> it, F-18 and they're Bosnia, Kosovo, and he gets shot down. And I thought it was like, a, it's a pretty good movie. It's it was probably the first one that had Hornets. I don't think this is probably like 2000, early 2000s when Behind Enemy Lines came out. It was probably before Wedding Crashers. Um, and if you go watch it now, it's it's kind of like Top Gun Maverick. He's getting shot at by missiles, surface air missiles that are probably realistically going to the tune of like Mach 4 to Mach 5. And he is just weaving his F-18 in and out of the cannons or canyons, dodging them and stuff. So it's really tough to like watch it. But again, I tried like it wouldn't be entertaining if he just got shot, you know, missile fired, Mach 5, and then he blows up You're like and movies over, you know, so. Behind Enemy Lines, probably the toughest one for me to watch these days. But growing up, I think I gave it, I didn't know what I didn't know. And nowadays I'm like, you know what? I want to be entertained. You know, are you not entertained? Yeah, that, it makes sense. It's probably a different perspective watching it with military guys and then just watching it after service and being like, okay, do I enjoy this? So, yeah. Uh, I was saying, I, I, I will pitch it the American Sniper. I was actually sitting in a jock in Africa with a bunch of Navy SEALs when that came out. And so, man, I'm like the Air Force dweeb who's over on the computer. I'm like, it just came out. Like, I got to watch it, you know? Yeah. And just rolling their eyes. Like, this is, you know, this is a like, terrible movie. But I was like, yeah, I don't know any better. It looks, it's entertaining. Yeah, it's weird. Different people felt differently about it because we had on Scott McEwen, who was the co-author of American Sniper, who lived with Chris Kyle for a short okay. period of time. And he, I mean, he was involved in it, but he loved the movie. He thought everything about it was great. I worked with Brandon Webb for a while who did stuff with Chris Kyle, was Navy SEAL sniper instructor. He really liked the movie. So, yeah, I mean, different people, because I have heard military guys in the SEALs who, who liked it. And I think there were things that all of them thought were inaccurate, but they did also shrug it off and say, okay, like, I think some of the scenes of like the sniper training and stuff, but they said, <laughs> whatever, it's a movie, you're not going to get all of that accurate. So, yeah, it's that's uh yeah it's like top gun maverick one i mean if you eject at mach 10 
it's not going to go well, right? First and foremost. <laughs> so, but the movie's over right at the beginning, and then uh, you know, walking in in the big open hangar, talking about the top secret mission, throwing the the Natops book in the trash, going out there and overging your jet, every jet on the flight line. But you know what? Hey, it's entertaining. And I, I mean, I don't know if it's plastic surgery or what, but it, it is wild how well Tom Cruise has aged. I mean, he he looks great still. Yeah, whatever, yeah. Whatever, whatever he's drinking, like, I need that <laughs> fast. Yeah, I, I, but did you see the pictures of the, uh, what's her name, Kelly? Um, oh, yeah. who, who? What's her name again? Uh, is it Kelly McGillis? Kelly McGillis, yeah, yeah, because people are wondering, all right, why is she not in this? And I mean, just truthfully, you look at how she looks now, would this be the love interest of a current day Tom Cruise? It wouldn't be realistic, I mean, just to put it lightly, so. Right, yeah, I mean, not to be mean, right, but whatever. Yeah. Uh, whatever water he's splashing on himself or juicing i mean it's it's doing I mean, all right. it's also it's not even so much as her is that like people age it's normal to look like her all these yeah. years later it's it's not normal to look like the way tom cruise looks now but <laughs> right. tom cruise is also truthfully probably like obsessed with his image in a way that the average person doesn't have the luxury to be because they're not a hollywood movie star yeah someone i don't know how Truthful is, I'm probably cross and wired, but you know, they were talking about his routine and what he does. Like, I'm sure, you know, at that level, right, you have a trainer, you have a nutritionist, you have all the things that you need. But I mean, he's he's constantly doing something, he's constantly working out, working on the movie, working on a project, like doesn't stop. And then, yeah, being fed with everything that he needs to be his optimal self, like. It would be super awesome if you know you had that much time in the day where it's like, yeah, you're like you. This is your job, basically. Your job is dependent upon how you look and feel and act. And he's got the resources to do it. So, yeah, yeah, and doing it all these years. I mean, Top Gun came out the year I was born. So, yeah, it's it's wild to see just how long he's been doing it at that level. Yeah. So, okay, we got to talk about as you just said, you flew over the Super Bowl. I had no idea of this. Um, who is <laughs> Who was playing in that Super Bowl? Where was it? How how did it all come about? Uh, random. So, you know, I was F-16 demo pilot and going into, so the off season for the air show is, you know, November through really March, but we have some training sessions we do in February. Well, Super Bowl uh, is rolling around. The Blue Angels and the Thunderbirds had typically always done the flyovers and they alternated years and they alternated the years based on, team change out when their boss would change out so when the thunderbird boss would change out that was typically the blue angel year to do the flyover and if it was coordinated i don't know but that is typically how it it happened well some things happened and both bosses were changing out same year so they looked to do something different so air force public affairs said hey let's do air force heritage flight okay which you know doing the demo you have an f-16 demo team an a-10 an f-22 and f-35 what complements that is the air force heritage flight foundation and there are nine civilian pilots on average these guys have been flying warbirds their entire life they get checked out and every year demo teams so the four demo pilots and the nine heritage pilots go to tucson and for five days straight they fly in every mixed match of formation it's the most incredible tdy in the military, in my opinion, because you'll have an F-22, an F-86, a P-51, and an F-35 flying in formation together. So it's pretty it's pretty awesome for plane buffs. But that was what ended up rolling around for the Super Bowl. So 2018, Minneapolis, 
they looked to, hey, let's do some different things. We're going to have a P-51, lead two A-10s, and then I was in the F-16. There's definitely a lot of challenges that go into that, but another piece of it is like, let's broadcast this live from the P-51. So the NFL actually paid to have a bunch of camera gear put in the back of the P-51, which actually forced me to change my position and flying it, which is unique. So normally the number four, if you're looking at a diamond formation, is low because you're looking up at the other three planes. But in that case, I couldn't be seen by the cameras, which is what the NFL was paying for. So I had to fly high. Now you have your legs, the cockpit, everything blocking you from seeing. So the entire time you're kind of looking around flying formation, but uh, I don't do cold. I'm from Georgia. (laughs) My team superintendent, my maintenance superintendent who kind of ran, he ran, he ran the team. He was from Minneapolis. He talked Minneapolis up like it is the most amazing place on earth. And for those listening from Minneapolis, some of the nicest people I've ever met in my entire life love Minneapolis during the summertime, but they pride themselves on the cold. So Super Bowl weekend was the coldest weekend they'd had in Minneapolis since the previous Super Bowl, like 25 yeah. years. Oh, wow. And it's negative like nine. I have to go to an interview. You would think it would be like in a news studio. Nope. They just embrace the suck and they have it on the rooftop of this bar. Like I didn't have my jacket. Because my guys had brought my luggage because I had to carry a centerline fuel tank. And so I know where to put my luggage. So that was at the hotel. So I'm just in my flight suit, just freezing. But we ended up doing a flyover practice on Friday for the Super Bowl, which was really good because there's a lot of dynamics when you're flying with uh, like fighter aircraft. So F-16s, Blue Angels, F-18s doing a flyover. They have the ability to go fast and go slow and they can all do it together. When you have a 70-year-old warbird out front, what you see is really what you get. Like you can maybe make up a few seconds. So we did a practice run on Friday. We almost hit a banner tower that approach control let fly through our practice area, which was interesting. There's a good video of me ducking down and below and going over the stadium at about 200 feet, not where you want to be <clears throat> in downtown Minneapolis. But we um, end up doing the flyover and this I can go into as many details as you want, but yeah, sure. It was a pretty dynamic uh, flyover because one, you know, there's like a hundred million eyeballs looking at you. And so I said, if we mess this one up, like I'm just going to turn out to the sunset and punch because I can't go back to the squadron. But we end up holding north of the stadium in kind of an east-west racetrack, so just doing these loops or you know laps, and that's perpendicular to the run-in, which is a north-south run-in over the stadium. We did that. So at any point you could turn in and go. And so in F-16, you can punch in a time over target. Uh, The A-10s can obviously do the same thing and it'll give you an airspeed carrot of what speed you need to fly. Again, doing flyovers F-16, F-16, not a big deal. Like there are certain speed limits and you try not to go too fast, but you're watching that and you kind of have to gauge it because in F-16, I can square the corner, right? So I can be perpendicular to the run in. And I'm like, oh, I need to go now. Like I can turn and like, oh, I'm a little slow. Plug in an afterburner and you can make up your speed. In the Mustang, you can't do that. So Steve Hinton was leading the uh, formation. Steve was the youngest guy to win the Reno Air Races back in the 70s. And he held that title until his son beat him here uh, like five or six years ago. Steve knows more about flying than like, and forgotten more about flying than I'll ever know. <laughs> So he's, you know, he has an iPad, he's working that we're backing him up. 
uh, from, you know, the F-16, the A-10s, just looking at some time it. We make the turn in. I didn't mention this too. So I don't know if I can, I can probably mention this, but yeah, we have, there's a ground controller and it was a F-18 or F-15E Strike Eagle pilot who ran uh, the admin piece for all the demo teams. He is the guy talking to the NFL or talking to the public affairs who's talking to the NFL. So we're playing this telephone game, right? Because you got to be down to the second. Luckily, I probably should have, like, we should have taken bets on this because people bet on this in Vegas, but. They bet on everything. They bet on the color of the Gatorade of the game. Yeah, so, so all that stuff, like, when is, how long is the national anthem? Is the national anthem, it was pink this year. You know, is she really going to carry that last note? Is she going to be fast? Like, all those things you're kind of thinking about. Luckily, she was sick and she did a voiceover, you know, had the, or lip sync the national anthem. So Which we, I feel like almost all of them do, right? I, I mean, think that's, they, that's like the secret. You know, because they're so precise. I don't know how much a second cost of advertising time in the Super Bowl, but yeah, it's got to be yeah, a, a significant amount. So being down to the wire, but knowing that the national anthem is going to be a minute 19, but it ended up slipping back and forth. I think the preacher went long, but the window, uh, the windows inside the stadium are RFID blocking which I guess makes sense. You don't want someone to like detonate a bomb, but none of our comms on the practice day would go through, which was kind of problematic for getting that relay and when to turn in. We sorted out for Sunday, but we turned in and we were like nine seconds late. And I was just like, there's no, way, there's no way we can do this. Steve being the professional aviator that is, he held us a little high, like 2000 feet higher than probably normal. and was just able to ramp down just a little bit enough to give that P-51 just a little bit of smash to get us going up and over the, the hump to, to catch up. But it was a wild, it was a wild experience. I had Elizabeth Banks, the actress, who was awesome, by the way. I gave her a flight on Saturday. A guy who, like, if it's snowing in the F-16, unless you're in Masala or in, in combat, like, we're not flying. Like, there's just, man, you're just not, you're just not doing it. I looked out, and there was, like, a 12 ship of snow plows going down the runway. Just wow. plowing, plowing all the snow. I had to get de-ice in F-16. I do it all the time now, but, you know, I had to call one of my buddies who is Masao, which is northern Japan. I'm like, dude, I, what do I need to do here? I've never, I got a de-ice checklist. Like, I don't want to make sure I don't mess this up. And I told my my boss when I got home, who'd been flying in the Viper for like 18 years, he's like, we have a de-ice checklist? It just tells you how much we, we just don't mess with it. So it was an, it was an interesting uh, experience and weekend for sure. So while you were telling me this story, I, I was actually just thinking of this and I Googled it because I always like to make sure I get the names right on this stuff. Do you remember a few years ago? I actually want to see when it was. Yeah, it was uh, so it wasn't that long ago. It was 2020. Um, Joe Buck was with Troy Aikman and he got picked up on a hot mic, basically yeah. bashing the flyover. That's your hard-earned money and your tax dollars at work. I mean, as, as someone who's been a part of it, how, how disrespectful did you feel that that was? Like, what what were your feelings on? Because, I mean, I think just as a civilian who respects the military and and what they do in terms of, like, being a part of the Super Bowl, and, and look, politics has certainly been injected so much into football. Right. So, like, if anything should be injected in. It's the country that we live in, the people who fight for this country, and to hear them disrespected, I, I was offended by it. So I think someone like you would be much more offended by it. Well, you know, I mean, the thing is, everyone's got their opinions, right? And and that's fine. That's why yeah, you do what you do is so that you, people can share their opinions, whether you like them or not. I think 
you know, doing flyovers, does it cost money? Yeah, absolutely. But you know, the one, the fact that we have the ability to do that when most nations like they, they don't have the ability to showcase their military and it's not even like showcasing their military, but I think it's a way one, again, as I alluded to before, who doesn't love the sound of jet noise besides Joe Buck, um, <laughs> but you know, it, it gets people riled up and they, they can feel that sense of patriotism and they can get connected to the military. You know, we live in a great country. It is an imperfect country. There's a lot of things that could be better, but as someone who has traveled around the world and into some spots that I would prefer never to visit nor live. Like we have it really good. And I think we can attribute a lot of that to, um, you know, founding founders who had some incredible insight to establish the framework of this nation. And then a lot of brave men and women who have stood up and defended this nation against uh, evil. So all that being said, like that is one, you know, again, everyone's entitled to their opinions. I think some of them are, Man, they're not as educated as me, but no, I think, mm-hmm. you know, he, he is probably someone who is in an echo chamber and he just sees either dollar signs or is removed. And, you know, he's never, I don't know, Joe Buck. So it's not, not, maybe not fair. Maybe he's, he's traveled to third world countries and he's been shot at and things like that. I, I, I <laughs> doubt it. Yeah. But um, yeah, again, uh, I'm glad he, he shared his opinion and lets people judge, judge him and uh, make assessments of him. But, you know, we need people to step up and hold the line, the next generation when fewer and fewer Americans, and I think now the numbers it's somewhere in the single in the, in the teens percentage wise that have a, a family member, immediate family member that served in the military. If you back up to the seventies, that number was almost, it was, if, if not 50% or more, it was right around there. So get it, finding qualified Americans who are not obese, have a criminal record, whatever it might be, and have a propensity and willingness to go out there and serve our nation is becoming more and more difficult to find. They're, you know, you're competing with all sorts of things, right? Like who doesn't want to be a YouTube star, right? Just, you know, be on Twitch and make, you know, $100,000 just sitting your computer screen when you go get yelled at and sacrificed for your country. So doing flyovers, that is a way to connect with people. Doing air shows, that's a way that most Americans will never come that close to the Department of Defense, the military, to jets. And so I think it's an important way to go out there, inspire taxpayers, actually get to see what, you know, their tax dollar, a portion of their tax dollars are paying for. But yeah, yeah, Joe Buck, I don't know. That's yeah, it's and it's propaganda, you know, propaganda is used, I think, in a negative connotation, but it's like the positive propaganda that's needed because of the fact that people do say that people on the, on the show say uh, actually just the other week, uh, uh, Top Gun inspired me to join the Navy or for some people, they do see an air show. They do see a flyover and they go, I want to do that. And yeah, when you have an all voluntary military force, you do have to have that positive propaganda. If you want to put it that way to get people to join. And of course, look, it is propaganda. It's show it's glorifying all the highlights, but that's sort of what needs to be done. And we do hear about the negatives, of course, of joining and, and signing your name on the dotted line and possibly uh, losing your life in, in the worst of cases for the country. But I think it is important to glorify like the great things that we do. And and I mean, when I go to an air show, I'm, I'm far too old to join the military at this point, but I certainly am inspired by what you guys do. And, you know, it, for you, right, like even, you know, 
exposing adults to it, right? They can be a direct influence on youth. And you said like positive propaganda, like we have a segment on my podcast, like the bro chats. I do that with my buddy Vader and Bender and they have a Kodiak Shack podcast. And if you listen to that and our most recent ones, like there, it's not all roses. I probably gripe for 30 minutes about just all the shenanigans and pain points that I've recently experienced with the military. That piece of it, it's, it, there are definitely downsides. The ultimate being, right? Like you lose your life, maimed, um, et cetera, right? That would be the ultimate. The the level I'm complaining at is like, yeah, they lost my travel voucher, you know, wham. You know, but I'm still going to gripe about it. If I had to go back and do it again, cliche to say, I would go do it. The people that I met, the people that I worked with, like to this day and forever will be some of my closest friends because you all went through good and really bad times together. And that creates a bond that is probably really tough to find. And I, I often say it's like, you know, I, I way back when was a volunteer firefighter and I could see, you know, where really are you in a, in a, in a space with the same group of people living together, working together, 24 seven or, you know, 24 on 40 off, whatever it might be. Maybe the fire surface is probably the next closest thing to that. But outside of that, even like law enforcement, you know, you're probably showing up and doing your day brief and then everyone's out and their patrol cars doing their own thing. And obviously they come together and crisis working, you know, they're close, but um, I think it's, it's tough. You're not going to find that bond anywhere in the military. And it's gotten to be where I am today. It gave me a lot of great skill sets and things to talk about et cetera, et cetera. But it is not all roses. Yeah. There's a lot of positive propaganda out there. Like if you look at- And, and I also think like podcasts like ours, people will hear the the good and the bad from Chris or the good and the bad from you. And they might weigh it all out and say, hey, I want to join. I mean, I would never want to do a uh, a show where it's it's just one or or, or the other, right? I, I would feel crazy just doing a show saying, having someone like Chris say, join the military, it's the greatest thing. And he's lost <laughs> all these guys in combat. But he'll even tell you, like, even losing guys in combat, he still has, like, fond memories of those times. So, um, I mean, I think, like, you and him and all the other podcasts out there, whether it's, like, Jack Murphy and Dave Clark with the team house or, or like, Andy Stump with his podcast, there were, everybody's going to give right. you the the real deal of what, what they actually have lived. That's what I mean. I, I like about it too. You know, I think, and all of us probably on our podcast have said that. I think not that I'm solving any of the world's problems, even though I claim to be, no one writes down the answers. Um, the fact that it's a long form and you're able hopefully to entertain both sides. And, you know, I think a lot of these podcasts out there do a good job of it because we all can say, you know, you watch the media, right? It's, it's one way prop. It's one-sided propaganda, you know? Oh yeah. I could, I could tell you something about that. Uh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah. Oh, yeah. What I was going to say actually is, I don't know if you've gotten this and I, I put it on my LinkedIn, but do you get these pitches for guests that are like, um, Hey, oh, we want to have on the show for you. Uh, it's a PR person, general so-and-so, and it usually is a general, all these military accolades. And they're like, here's a list of questions you could ask him. You know, why are Americans less likely to join the military? And they're rehearsed answers. So when I, when I, at least in my personal life, when I talk about the fake news media, there really is very much a fake news media because it's a lot of the times these same generals that you see who work for the same like military contractors 
or they work for a political action committee, whether it's for Trump or or for Biden, they're going to give you their rehearsed answers. And it's you're not even watching their real opinions on anything. It's like a very well scripted PR spin on what's happening in the world. I absolutely I saw you post about that. I actually chuckled because I do have the same thing happen. I probably get emailed. You know, it ebbs and flows. It might be five in one week. It might be none. Uh, but I've had a couple recently where, yeah, they're they're pitching books. And it's like, hey, here's the, let me tee up these questions for you to ask. And I'm like, I don't care about any of that. And that I don't very rarely, if I don't, if I get introduced to someone for the podcast, like a friend of a friend's like, hey, you need to talk to so-and-so. You know, he's got a distinguished flying cross, whatever. About the only research I really want is to kind of like, hey, I want to know about that sortie because I do want to talk about that in, in those events. But I don't, you know, like you, it's like, I don't want this scripted. And certainly if you're trying to sell a book or whatever pack, whatever you're working for, I'm not going to, oh, well, let me, okay, what do you think about, uh, you know? I, I would feel crazy. And and yeah, there's so many people too where um, it's, a, it's the PR person. What questions are you going to ask on the podcast? And it's like, I don't know. We're just having a conversation. I didn't know they were going to talk about the Super Bowl flyover or any of this. It's <laughs> that That's what a podcast should be. But yeah, on the news, they know exactly what they're going to hit. You only have like one minute to give your, your answer. And they're going to go for the most um, like hyperbolic personalities out there who are going to say like, our country is going downhill. It's in the wrong direction. That's who they love. They, they don't love someone who's a little bit more level-headed and it's going to give you a little bit more like moderate of an answer. So you'll, you'll appreciate this. I'll have to pull this up. Let me, uh, <laughs> see. I got one last week when I was on my trip. Let's see, they want to know about you know, my thoughts on F-16s going to Ukraine. Let me see if, uh, and how they would hold up. And I like scroll through the bottom of this email. And when I get to the bottom of them, I see it's Sputnik news. I'm like, huh? Sputnik oh, wow. I, I got an idea where this one's coming from. Um, so that's probably something like RT. Right, it is. I thought yeah. RT got kicked out of the U.S. or went bankrupt because this was out. This was out of the D.C. bureau, but okay. then if you look at it, it's state-sponsored uh, Russian news media, and so they emailed me multiple times just asking about. I can't find the email now, but it was kind of humorous. Uh, which I have. I've had episodes talking about F-16s going to Ukraine and and my thoughts on it, but it is. It's interesting because that one. I've seen several articles pop up like on Business Insider or wh wherever it might be, you know, guys talking about this is the greatest thing. This is what Ukraine needs. And then now this is the dumbest thing ever. I might be in the latter camp. Um, but, you know, it's interesting to see, yeah, being out in this space, what pops up and who contacts you, I guess. That, that would actually be interesting to hear your your real perspective on that, because why you said you might be in the latter camp of why it is the dumbest thing. So uh, people might want to know that from you, because we only know what we read in terms of this, and, and we don't know much about aviation. So yeah, it'd be good to hear your perspective. I'll say, so my buddy Bender, he sent a picture to us, and it was a Ukrainian student. So we typically have, at any one of our pilot training bases, 30 to 50 countries that go through our t6 training and they usually do it twice and that they don't go into our advanced trainer it's called aviation leadership program basically expose other nations get train them right so they can go back and we we have built we're building a continuous relationship and these individuals are going to be leaderships or leaders in their air force down the road so uh, this was back in march we had a ukrainian student graduate from columbus and then he was shot down in his mig-29 around Memorial Day weekend. 
So, you know, timestamp that that's roughly two months. At two months in the F-16, I probably could barely start it. So you're taking a guy and putting him in a fighter in a war zone, uh, you know, a lot of OJT, go get this done in, in a fourth generation fighter. You know, you spend you know, roughly eight months, nine months in an F-16 training course, and they're all about, you know, seven, seven-ish, eight months. And when you come out of that, you are a qualified F-16 pilot. You know how to fly it. You know how to employ some weapons. You know how to shoot some stuff and some basic, you know, the basics. When you show up to your first fighter squadron, you're going to spend another three or six months going through mission qualification training. And that's the specific mission set of your F-16. So Shaw Air Force Base, where I was, that was C, suppression of enemy air defenses, defensive counter air. So protect this point from the hordes of enemy fighters coming across the line. We want to protect this building, protect this base. And then there are a whole bunch of other missions that you do that you just kind of maintain proficiency in, such as close air support. Time to go to war and do close air support, pull that book off the shelf, spin the squadron up, go do that. Uh, needless to say, so you come out and basically you are a, you are a seeing eye wingman who just stays visual, shoots at sort, knows kind of how to employ some weapons. And yeah, that's like at the year point, right? If everything's going well. Now, if you are a previous fighter pilot, like flying you know, an F-15, you transition to F-16, that's probably going to happen a little bit faster. But really, you still, we send guys through, all right, who are transitioning through the F-35 right now. When they come out on the other side of the F-35 transition program, they're going to be wingmen. They're not instructor pilots. They're not flight leads. They're not instructor pilots. Now, they, they, might, they will most likely progress faster because they have that experience. But there's still a large learning curve. So one. All right, the training pipeline to get someone who is capable of flying and employing an F-16, I think is rather lengthy. It is, it is an easy plane to fly, in my opinion. It is a tough plane to employ. Then, um, yeah, is it air to air? Is it air to ground? You're doing both of them. Where are we getting these F-16s? I, from what I've surmised, what I've heard, and this definitely is not etched in stone, but I think the plan is to buy a lot of F-16s from other partner nations with you know, most likely they're going to get backfilled with newer F-35s or newer F-16s, so it's a good deal for them. But no F-16 is alike. You know, you got Block 10s, Block 25s. It's going to be a hodgepodge of F-16s that get dumped on them. So different avionics capabilities, different cockpit setups somewhat, uh, different, you know, is it a, a embedded GPS INS? Is it just an INS? You know, all these things that, yeah, you don't really think about, but those can be pretty cumbersome for pilots, especially pilots who aren't experienced. Like if I had to go fly an analog flight control F-16 versus a digital flight control F-16, just doing the the startup test, like it's quite different. In a, in a digital one, like flip a switch, let the jet do its thing and it passes or fails. The analog one, you're doing all beeps and squeaks and flipping switches and doing all sorts of stuff. So I mean, that gets us to like, hey, let's like, how are we like, going to train them. Uh, that's going to be problematic. Where are we going to get them from? I think that's going to be problematic. How are we going to maintain them? So even our Air Force has a, cha a significant challenge of, I mean, having qualified maintainers. Like when I was getting out, that was a big challenge of having qualified maintainers. They had a big, they'd moved a lot of guys around, a lot of guys and gals around, a lot had gotten out. So I don't know what the hour 
flight hour per maintenance hours in F-16, but I'm guessing, you know, per one flight hour, it's definitely not just one maintenance hour. It's at least two, if hmm. not 15 or whatever it is. So, all right, you got to maintain these things. And if you neglect them for a little bit, like they're going to start biting you at some point. All right. So now we got to maintain it. We got to have parts availability, et cetera. Like we even ran out of, we went into the war reserve on our last deployment for like the, the air fueling door. Like they were pulling parts out of the boneyard for our air fueling door. Cause we had so many that were breaking. Now, what environment are you flying around in? Like you're not flying around Afghanistan, Iraq. That's uncontested. You're flying around that have Russian fighters and Russian surface air missile you know, defenses. I'll quote Paco from the Merge podcast. In the opening days, they had a MiG-29 that was shot down over Kiev. He was shot down from Belarus. It was like a 150-mile SAM shot. I mean, that guy was fat, dumb, and happy doing loops and got shot, shot up the tailpipe. Not where you want to be in life. So I think it probably gives, if, if you're doing it, you're doing it because you're supporting Ukraine and saying, hey, we're here to help. My personal take is I don't think it is a is a viable, it's not an off-the-shelf solution. Maybe five years down the road, maybe three years down the road if you put guys through, but it's not like you know, World War II, you're just pumping out pilots and pumping out Mustangs and going to dogfight. Like that was not easy, right? But the complexity of an F-16 and the systems and the weapons you're employing, there's just so many things that are going on. Again, it's an easy plane to fly, but to know how to employ it, run the radar fly in formation, employ the formation, you know, drive the formation as a flight lead or as an instructor pilot. So you tactically are doing it. But I guess if you need something to go fast and drop a bomb and hmm. maybe get shot at, like it's going to be okay, but I don't know. And I guess if you got nothing else, it'd be okay. But again, it's not a, it's not a great, it's not the end all. I don't think it's the end all be all solution. Like this is not going to win the war. Now, having the, yeah. I like, I like getting the details of this from, a, from guys like you, because I think for the average American, myself included, we just hear week after week, really, it seems like there's another package for Ukraine. And we just hear these numbers that are insane. Yeah. And we go, like, what is this all being spent towards for one? And why is this all being spent there? And I think for a lot of Americans, it's confusing as to, you know, there's just foreign conflicts all over the country. There always will be. And it's like unprecedented the amount of money that we're spending. Yeah, I'm not smart enough to know. Uh, you know, I, my hope, you know, if you're trying to weaken an enemy, if you consider Russia an enemy, I'd say we, you know, we consider them a near peer and definitely a threat, especially prior to this conflict kicking off. Well, I mean, is it like the Cold War and you just outspend them? You know, you deplete their war reserves. I mean, the flip side of it is like we haven't kicked on our war reserve that I know of as far as the manufacturing piece. So if you're producing all these weapons and armament and sending it to Ukraine, are, you know, are we running the risk? If we had to go pivot to the Pacific, would we run out of stuff? Like would we need stuff like shooting down balloons with aim nine X's like aim nine X's are a pretty handy thing to have and fly around with, but we don't have a ton of them. Like how many AMRAMs do we have? Like, I, I don't know. There's smart people who are definitely, attuned to it and are aware and you know i have i have faith but the um yeah i, I just don't think it is that simple and i think we yeah, saw, and, we and saw, I we think, saw this week not to get political but you know like the covid money i think they said it was like 6.2 billion dollars yeah insane. Uh, you know so you're like and and the cost that you really can't calculate in terms of the businesses that were shut down permanently right um and i think for 
audiences like mine and audiences like your podcast, there's people saying, hey, there's been a VA backlog that has never been solved. There's still guys who are not getting treated. There's there's veterans, as we've heard stories, literally committing suicide in VA parking lots because they still are in need of help. And for them, they're saying until we could, you know, fix the guys coming back from war who are U.S. citizens, a lot of people feel like let's not get this involved in foreign military conflict. I understand that as well. So. Yeah, I, I'm kind of of that camp. The again, I'll caveat with it. I'm not that smart, but I do think, you know, if we get involved in Ukraine, the, the only advantage that I see, right, would be you weaken a, a near peer threat, assuming that you don't weaken yourself in the process. But we have so many things going on here, and now you start you start dumping a lot of uh, yeah valuable resources, time, energy. There's, 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 a, there's a happy balance somewhere yeah. in there. I, I don't know what that is, and I'm not that that read into it. It seems from the, all the open source information that's flowing that way, such as like F-16s. To me, that seems like a very political move in giving Ukraine F-16s. And I, hopefully someone listens to this smarter than me and chimes in. It's like, no, nope, yeah, they're going to get all Block 15s, and these guys are going to get the most amazing training in the world, and they'll be full up ready to go fight 5th uh, Gen and you know, double digit SAM in a double digit SAM environment. My guess is that's not the case. Um, because you know, we we talked about like the F-16, yeah, it's just not in a double digit SAM environment, it's just not not where you want to be. Uh, yeah. And no one would no one would know better than you. You spent a long yeah. portion of your career flying these. So I, I think it's very valuable to hear from you on this. Um, you, you know what I also wanted to ask you about um, before we go, though, is the uh, E3 Aviation Association. So I know that like E3, it's a big it, it's a big umbrella of different things. Uh, Chris goes on there and talks about firearms instruction and he gives people kind of lessons that if they can't come out to a range and get lessons in person, they're being able to do it virtually and, and actually like practice at home watching these videos. Right. So I don't really know as much about what you do over there is, is are these guys looking to become pilots who who really is the audience for the E3 um, Aviation Association? Yeah, so E3 Aviation Association, just, you know, it's a sister service to E3 Firearms, Camping Off-Road. And while, so you ask the audience for it, it can be anyone from, hey, I think I want to be a pilot. Maybe you're a teenager to I'm a retired airline pilot with 4,000 hours or I'm in the military. What we want to do and what we're doing is building a community and so if you go to E3 Aviation Association, I'm excited, like our lineup of ambassadors that we we call uh, call the team, right? But they're contributing with content. They're showing up at events. Anyone from a you know, former Top Gun instructor, F-18 Blue Angel pilot to a tailwheel pilot. We got a guy, Ryan, the missionary bush pilot. This guy is flying around Papua New Guinea. And you know, when he talks about him flying, like my eyes are just like bug eyes, like landing on the side of the mountain, picking up coffee beans flying to these villagers like he's got a story where he almost died because of an you know he got a cut and almost got an infection had a life flight him out to australia so it's it's everyone and anyone with no matter what your interest is in aviation whether it's flying float planes flying f-16s flying for the airlines you go in there and there is a lot of content and connectivity to the people that are doing these and have walked the path and then not to mention as we grow like 
for me, a big piece of this is like, I would like to be the American Express of the aviation world. Like most people who have an American Express card realize that you typically, there's some kind of annual fee, but that annual fee pays for itself. And the big event we had a few months back was the title sponsor of Sun and Fun, second largest air show in the country. And, you know, if you became an annual E3 member, aviation member, you got access to the VIP chalet right there on the flight line. It's air conditioned. It's it's shaded. There's food and catering. And that was a third of the price if you'd gone and done the VIP chalet uh, down the road. So like those type benefits are kind of sprinkled throughout product discounts in the aviation world, et cetera. But the big, the big thing is aviation is a community and there's, there's something for everyone. And there's so much variety, you know, from flying the mountains in uh, Alaska to flying a float plane to flying an F-16 and we're bringing all those people together, which is pretty cool. That is. So it's once again, it's E3AviationAssociation.com. You know, I, I got to ask you this. So two weeks ago, we had on Brett Crozier and I asked him something that really you would be the better guy to ask because he didn't give me really that much of an answer or, or I didn't learn anything beyond what I, what I already had in mind. Um, we've been talking about air shows. We were talking about the Thunderbirds and the Blue Angels. I got to see. So they do switch off every year at Jones Beach. I'm yep. here on Long Island. Actually, I was in Connecticut the last time we spoke. I'm glad to be back here, but I go to that every year. Um, this year, it was the Thunderbirds. Year before, it was the Blue Angels. And I've seen I've seen all of them. But uh, it's funny because it's a year apart, so it's hard to judge what the difference is between the two. And, and when I had Brett Crozier on, he, it came up because he made a comment. He was like, the Blue Angels are better. I'm a little bit more favorable because I'm I'm Navy. And then I was asking him, like, but what really is is the difference? Because to me, I'm just standing back and I'm so amazed with both what both of these groups do that I I really could not tell you the difference. And he kind of felt the same way. It was like, yeah, I, I don't really know either. They're both amazing. So what like what in particular do they do that's different? So they I mean they both have after different jets. Uh, F-18, I used to think was a sexy jet until I saw an F-16, but like when you actually look at <laughs> F-18, you're like, God, this thing is like ugly and bumpy and <laughs> slow and big, but, um, the, you know, different routines. I will say this. So I actually had, uh, with Paco from the, the merge podcast. I think I've interviewed him too. What's his last name again? Benitez, Paco Benitez. He's got the merge yeah, letter. Okay. If people are defense. Uh, they like know what's going on. Paco puts out a phenomenal newsletter. Okay. That's I'm thinking of someone else, but okay. But yeah, so I, and I get it. Like it, it's a, it's a great newsletter. He also has a podcast. We actually did a joint interview with the Thunderbird commander and the XO, the blue angels. This was a few months back. Nice. And I honestly, I honestly, like I dealt with, I was always with the blue angels because I was an air force guy, single ship demo team. So you wouldn't send single ship F-16 with the Thunderbirds because you just show them up. I mean, F6, like the, my, my job was to go rip the wings off every day. The Thunderbirds, the Blue Angels flying in close formation, which is incredibly challenging and very impressive to watch, but had them on there. And I was like, oh, man, like when you go to air, it's like, it's, it is a pain to, to deal. Like there's, there's a big organization. They got a lot of things and a lot of needs. Everyone kind of jokes to prima donnas, et cetera. They're all great, great individuals. But uh, I always like watching the Blue Angels. I was around them a lot. I thought the Blue Angels put on a better show. It was a much tighter formation. And so when, you know, I'm looking at the wingtip overlap, I'm looking when they actually have GoPros in there, you see how far the, or how close the canopy is underneath. And so as, you know, a pilot flying in formation, you know, I'm thinking about the burbles and things that, you know, what one little 
bump and you smack wings. I think the Swiss team actually just had a collision last week and they're F5s. So wow. how, how close, because I asked Brett Crozier this as well, but you're more well-versed. How close are they getting? In those about 18, 18 inches. Wow. I mean, it, 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 it is close. Um, and again, if you think if the air is a little rough or if they go through some. Which I've seen. I've been yeah. to the, the Memorial Day Air show and you're like, how are they doing this? The weather is terrible. They, it, so it, it is impressive uh, from that regard. I will say talking on this, this episode we did, I was kind of, oh, man, this is. I'm going to get the rah, 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 we're great, yada, yada, yada. And it, uh, Astro, who is a Thunderbird commander, phenomenal individual. He's a weapons school instructor, so think Top Gun, and then a test pilot. So a double patch is what we call it. I don't know. There might be like one or he might be it in the Air Force now. It, it happens very rarely. An incredibly smart individual. But he talked about how the Thunderbirds over the last decade or so had, or really 15 years, had just slipped. And he goes, there are pictures on Google that he's like, we're still trying to get rid of. And mm -hmm. I, I think I shared in one of the clips I put out there. But if you Google, you know, like 2023 20, Thunderbirds and probably Google, I don't know, not not fair. If you Google early 2000 Thunderbirds and you their diamond pass and review, I think is their, their trademark one. I'm probably butchering that. He talks about it. I show it in there where you can see the differences between how close they are in formation. And when you see them flying now, and I have not seen in person, I've just seen the photos. They, they are in there. They are bringing it as close to what the Blue Angels are doing, which is, I think, what they needed. It's, you know, F-16 is an impressive plane. The difference is, like, F-18, so they actually have a spring that they will put on the, when they go to taxi or take off right before they take off. They snap it down to the bottom of the stick, right? The the stick in F-16 sits between their legs. Viper, it's it's a side stick. It doesn't It moves a tenth of an inch. So to command nine Gs, it takes about 25 pounds of force. How much is 25 pounds of force? I have no idea. I'm just hmm. trying to rip the stick off the side. So with the, the, the Blue Angels, they put that spring, they attach it to the front, and it actually pulls forward. So they're always having to have backstick pressure. So if it was just neutral, that's when you can get into this, this bobble as you're doing these over-the-top maneuvers. But by always having to have this constant stick pressure, they can make those min minor adjustments. The Thunderbirds, they actually will adjust the trim to be full nose down at certain points in certain positions in the formation to have that constant, have that constant backstick pressure. So doing it, I've never done it. It sounds terrible uh, and it, it's incredibly challenging, but I think both of them put on, this is the political answer. They both put on phenomenal <laughs> shows. Uh, if you'd asked me prior to this year, I was like, man, the, the Blue Angels definitely put on a much better show. I think the Thunderbirds and Astro talks about it. They did the Salute to America tour, like COVID, where they would fly over all the yeah, hospitals. Yep. And they did a bunch of stuff together. And that's when he said that they kind of had the realization that they had slipped over the years and needed to make that course correction. So they've, they've been making the course correction, bringing things in tighter, so to speak, um, than, than it has been in the past. But, you know, I think the goal with anything, at least, what I went out and do is like, I tried to stay in front of the crowd, you know, as much as humanly possible. And when you're going 500 knots and it's a 3000 foot show line, you're having to rip the wings off to do it. When you're flying at six jets, it's tough to do that. I would say, I don't know if Disney helped the Thunderbirds. They might know the Thunderbirds and the blue angels kind of rework their show because it was really long and drawn out. 
like for instance, I used to have like a three minute narration prior to taking off. And I listened to, I'm like, I, if I was in the crowd, I'd jab a pin in my eye. Like let's, we need, we need to say certain things. So let's do 45 seconds to a minute. We hit all the highlights and we'll inject all the other propaganda throughout throughout the rest you, of the you know film. what's interesting if you go to the jones have you ever i know you said you never flew it when we asked last time have you ever gone to the jones beach memorial no, the just, air show so there's see. there's an announcer who does the entire show and then they bring on like the air forces guy to narrate the uh thunderbirds the navies and i have to tell you that particular guy the guy who does jones beach every year truthfully is better than all of them i'm like this guy is just i, I want to hear his voice the entire time yeah. He's just got a great voice. He might not be as knowledgeable as them. I don't know, but he just does a very good job every year. Well, and, it, and it's it, it does keep you engaged because I always tell people if you're watching on the beach and you can't hear it, it's not the same. Right. It is. It's a. It is a team member. It is a pilot. So the Blue Angels, they do seven, six, five. So you start out as a narrator, and then you go to number six, and then you go to number five. Five and six are the solos. So Feed is one of my buddies I interviewed on the podcast. He is. He runs all of our E3 aviation uh, member experiences that we just brought him on to do that. But we actually at Sun and Fun, we had him kind of narrate the Blue Angel performance. We give the little inside scoop. He is a phenomenal narrator. They spend a lot of time training. And this is, you know, this is a pilot. For the single ship demo teams, it's usually the lead maintainer that does it. I had my lead maintainer and my not and my NCIC, my non-commissioned officer in charge. So my number one and two guys, my number two and three guys, if I was the number one guy, uh, they would do the narration, which to me is really impressive because their job is to turn wrenches and fix jets, not narrate. And you think, hey, we're we're going to throw you on the microphone in front of 4 million people. Don't sound like an idiot. And we do some training, but those guys did, a, I, I thought, a phenomenal job. And the Blue Angels and Thunderbirds, that is an F-16 pilot or that is an F-18 pilot yeah. that do it, that's doing that narration for for their act. The, but the, yeah, and this is the guy who does the entire show, oh, yeah. and then kind of hands it over to that person. I'm trying to think. I know. And I think. I think he's better. That's that's my honest opinion. Oh, so those guys, and they definitely have. So you probably have Rob Ryder, does Jones Beach. Uh, have you heard him? Because he's he's great. If that's the guy. So Rob, so let's see, can we Google it? Jones Beach narrator. I think. I, I think, think that's Rob, the guy. He's an older guy. Yep. So Rob, great, great human being. If very uh, announcery voice. Yeah. If anyone yeah. has seen uh, Shawshank Redemption, uh, he he has a a cameo in there. Oh, okay. I didn't know. Yeah, that. but Rob and he has phenomenal. I, I'll say, me starting my podcast. A lot of these announcers, uh, Matt Jolly is one of them, were very helpful with me getting set up because you know again I couldn't spell podcast. But I'm like, what gear do I need? Matt Jolly. I think Matt Jolly might do Jones Beats on occasion. Um, but he lives near me. And so I went down he's, you know, these guys have phenomenal studios like Matt's studio. I mean, it's set up like you can't hear any, it's like all noise dies when you walk in it and Rob Ryder, Rob Ryder air show announcer, I think his Facebook is where his big presence is. But you go there and like, he'll have pictures. Like maybe he's doing something in the hotel room and he's, you know, he's got like a blanket over his computer and he's got his microphone going and like, these guys are dedicated to quality sound. Yeah. So it's interesting. And they know a ton. They know a ton. They know more about aviation than I do for sure. The I was you know what I like better about the Blue Angels? I just like that I hear that Van Halen dream song. <laughs> we go higher. <laughs> I love hearing that. That that makes it better for me. Yeah. It's it's a simple choice. It's a simple choice. <laughs>
<laughs> I mean, that was a lot of people's introduction to the Blue Angels, though, was that music video because that yeah. had the Blue Angels. And I, you know, it's funny. I bought the, I'm a big Van Halen fan. I bought the Van Halen greatest video hits uh, DVD way back, which I still have. I'll still occasionally pop in. And I guess because of like a clearance or something for the Dreams video, it's not the Blue Angels. It's just like video of them doing a live performance in the background. So, That's a bummer. Yeah. No, it, I can still it. find it on YouTube, but yeah. Yeah, I get it. It's, it's good stuff, man. Good stuff. Yeah. <laughs> um, all right, man. Well, for the audience, I hope uh, we're having a great July 4th, uh, as we spoke about uh, earlier. And, and I know you said it's your favorite holiday. And, and yeah, I figured you'd be a great guest to bring on for July 4th. So, um, yeah, that's what I think of when I think of July 4th is stuff like air shows and, and as I said, Top Gun and all that in America and baseball. And uh, yeah. bef before you came on, and I'll probably watch the Mets before after we're done with this, before you came on, I was watching that Steve Cohen press conference. I don't know if you're a baseball guy, but being here in New York, uh, the Mets, I've said it before, I, this is truly the worst team of all time. And I really mean <laughs> it. I, I really mean it because – They've they've outspent like any team in the history of the MLB to be terrible. Right, it's yeah. amazing to watch that, in, a, in a bad way. I was just we were just at the Braves game last night. So my oldest man, he he is. All, Braves are great. The Braves dude, are always great. Last night uh, it was a uh, Acuna. They did like a chain giveaway for Acuna, so we had to get there early so my son could get it. But Acuna, first pitch, home run. And then Ozzy Albies triple. It was strikeout, and then uh, two run home run. You're like, man, it was like it was on fire last night. So, uh, yeah, but, I mean, America baseball grilling out. Yeah, people are enjoying the Fourth of July as it should be. But yeah, the Braves, the Braves are going to go all the way in their division, in our division. It's a great team. And, I don't know. It's interesting too. If you're a big baseball, it's been an interesting year. You know, with the pitch clock and there's been change. I mean, the games are moving faster, which I think baseball needed that uh, a little bit. The thing that I worry about with the pitch clock, and, and I'm not, I like watching baseball. I'd still say I'm a casual fan. It's just sort of part of the culture, I think, here in New York is like sports talk and baseball. And, and I get into it, too. I get more into it if the team doesn't suck like they do this year. <laughs> but um, I, you know, played very little baseball when I was younger. I was never good at it or anything. So I'm not so knowledgeable about it. But when I hear about the pitch clock and, and what I see these pitchers having to pitch at that pace, I, it, it makes me worry about like the longevity of how they're going to be as pitchers, because I just, the, the only thing I can compare it to is going at the gym. And like, when you're going for a max, I need to take some time in between. You don't want to injure yourself. You want to have proper form and all that. And when I see that they have to speed up what they're doing, it makes me think, are they going to shorten their careers with this? So that worries me. Yeah. I'm curious too, to see the number of guys, like how many are hit by pitches. Cause that's one of the things that someone brought up again, a few, few weeks back when I was watching um, sports center, I was like, I didn't really think about that, but I do feel like I see more guys getting hit, but maybe, you know, it could just be my son. He's a lefty and he just started doing kid pitch and man, he got hit every single time. Like his, his first five at bats. It's like, it's going to be okay, buddy. People just don't know how to deal with lefties yet. So. I, that that was my thing when I was playing because I was I was never good truthfully and I think after I got hit by a pitch yeah. it was like you're you're reluctant to get right up on on you know uh, uh the base there and yeah I, I don't I mean there's nothing to me that would be scarier than getting hit by by like a fastball by one of these amazing pitchers like that's that's some scary shit so yeah that's gonna hurt it's gonna yeah. really hurt I don't want to do it <laughs> hard pass, <laughs> yeah. hard pass. Which is crazy because people see what you do 
And they're yeah. like, you couldn't pay me enough to get in one of those planes. And I feel that way too. But maybe I'm just a huge pussy because I, I won't do either. So. <laughs> well, yeah, I've seen the, break, the breakdown of what the time, the the processing you have as a batter in the major leagues. I mean, it's like 125 milliseconds that you like. It's yes or no. I'm swinging or I'm not swinging. Yeah. Basically, you know, by the time you see it, decide to swing, get the muscles moving. You're like, and then when you see like the GoPro, like the little helmet cams, like for the catcher, you're like, man, 100 miles an hour. That's a that ball is going really fast. You know, yeah, the base on altitude. There you go. It, it is incredible. It's incredible what these guys do. Uh, and once again, it's incredible what you guys do. Speaking of uh, pilots and, and the Air Force Thunderbirds and the Blue Angels, neither of which you were in. But just, you know, as as someone who's in that community, it's great hearing what you have to say about it. So uh, at Rainwaters 27 on Instagram, uh, the Afterburn podcast, of course, available on all podcast platforms, uh, E3AviationAssociation.com. Uh, and yeah, if you guys like this episode, please leave us a comment. If it's on YouTube, leave us a review on Apple Podcasts. We need reviews. Um, but it's it's always great speaking with you. We're going to do this again. We'll definitely have a part three at some point. Um, yeah, any, anything else you want to get to? But this has been a great conversation. We really hit a lot of points here, and, and I learned a lot. You know, I appreciate it. I mean, we got everything from Top Gun to Ukraine to baseball. I mean, we were covering the gamut. And then, you know, again, hopefully everyone's out there enjoying the 4th of July. and celebrate america because again it's not a perfect country but i think we got it pretty good that's all for this episode of battleline podcast but we're always posting new content on social media follow us on instagram at battleline podcast and on twitter at battleline pod that's an order be sure to subscribe so you don't miss any new episodes up every tuesday Leave us a review on Apple Podcasts or your podcast platform of choice. Believe in yourself. Face all challenges head on. And as always, never quit.